Man, another red light. I just wish there was another way. It's always one direction or the other. I just want to leave Main Street. I feel right, I feel left, I feel wrong, I feel left behind, I feel This two-party system that we live in is a lot like driving on Main Street. A lot of red light and only two directions to go. So get ready to find an alternate route. You are now leaving Main Street. I'm Michael Bohanois. I'm Allison Bohanois. And this is our first ever podcast and we have a special guest so I would like for you to introduce yourself. Uh, hello everyone my name is Ebony Jackson. Um, I'm a local mom and entrepreneur. I work at the local chamber of commerce and the education initiatives kind of linking um, school-based education with the actual workforce that we're going to need in the future. Oh can you uh, dive more into that because that sounds interesting. Sure. Um, so a lot of local schools right now are looking at their curriculum and also looking at the need, um, especially in manufacturing and engineering, um, and making sure that uh, they're offering courses to kids who are not going to college straight away. Um, they might be working in the local factories, working in manufacturing, and work their way up that way. Um, and, you know, there's all other industries that you can do, what, do that in. Um, healthcare, education, all kinds of things. So we're really interested in um, helping the local schools create those career pathways and then making sure that the local businesses are prepared um, to take those people and educate them along the way if, if that's what they have to do. Oh, wow, that sounds really, really interesting. Uh, what schools do you generally work with? So we work with the eight local schools, um, so Binghamton, Endicott, UE, SV, you know, Oigo, name them all, we work with them. Wow, that's, that's really <laughs> cool. Now, Ebony and I, we both went to Davis College together, so we went to school together, that's how I know her, um, and so she actually didn't know my wife before this podcast, um, so this is like the first time they're meeting each other, it's really cool. Um, so today we're talking about a really hot topic in New York State and in our nation in general and probably even the world because this made CNN international news so uh, New York State just passed uh, a law and the law is Senate Bill 240 uh, so basically it is a new abortion law and it is just insane what is the technical name I don't even what remember. What did they hide it under? Reproductive health? Yeah, some something Women like themselves. Reproductive Health Care Act or something or other. I just call it Senate Bill 240. Just another bill. Ah, there it is. The, reproduc the Reproductive Health Act is the official name of the bill. Ah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, Alright, so diving right in. Uh, abortion is kind of one of my pet topics, but considering I don't have a uterus, I prefer to let my wife and other women who are pro-life kind of take the floor on these kind of things, because 
uh, people like to say, oh, well, you're not a woman, so you don't get a say. Okay, I mean, that's fine. I'll, I'll let you have at it. But usually what happens is I say, oh, well, I know some pro-life women, and then I try to bring them into the argument, and then they just start insulting the pro-life women. Hmm. So it's not really about me not having a uterus. It's that I am using logic and science. So if, if y'all want to chime in, you know, go right ahead and say, say what you want, your viewpoints on the issue. doesn't matter to me. Um, so I guess I'll start. Uh, when Michael and I went to college together 10 years ago, believe it or not, <laughs> um, I actually had no opinion, right or wrong, um, against or for abortion. Um, I grew up as a Christian, and unfortunately, um, in my community, the Af African-American community, there's no, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's no disincentive or incentive to getting an abortion. Like, it's just a matter-of-fact type of thing, and I think that has a lot to do with um, socioeconomic status. Mm -hmm. So, of course, a lot of blacks are poor. And so um, when you find yourself in a pregnancy, that was a surprise and you don't know what to do. Um, and you might not be able to afford that, that child. Um, abortion has been an option. So um, I just said all of that to say that before, um, I would say at least the last 10 years, I, I didn't have an opinion on it. Hmm. Okay. So how has that like evolved over time on um, for you? Um, for me, it's evolved because I actually, uh, when I started school um, in Davis College as a Christian school, um, I started there in 08, and I already had two children. Um, I was married at the time, and so I was living in that nuclear family, um, and it just it just wasn't on my radar. Um, going to Davis. You hear a lot about abortion. <laughs> There's tons and tons of projects people do and um, what do you call those? PowerPoints that they, presentations and stuff like that, that, that you can see from, from the pro-life stance. And so for me, I think it was just more of Jesus weighing on my heart than it was anything else because now I do have two more children. <laughs> Um, so I have four children now, and that is because I changed my mind on abortion. Um, one of the children was planned. The other one was a surprise. And I think if I hadn't changed my, my position on abortion, um, that surprise child probably wouldn't be here today. Uh, that's, a, that's a touching touching statement, actually. So, um, you know, I've had my own experience on, on this. Um, there was this girl that I really liked um, my first year at Davis. And she was telling me a story about how before she was a Christian, she had an abortion. And I didn't know how to take it because I had never, I would always been pro-life, but I had never actually like talked to anybody who had had one. So I never really knew how to react to it. And I reacted really wrong um, to it because I'm like, how could you do that? That's a life and everything. And then as I thought more about it and thought about the things that she said, she told me, I realized <clears throat> I... Not only was she not a Christian, but secondly, getting an abortion isn't something that you just like all willy-nilly, you know what, today I feel like getting an abortion. You know, and I think that pro-lifers need to also, when they hear that, think think about that. Like, because it's not just some small little deal. 
this is a new life. It's a family. This is a mouth you have to feed. So it's, yeah. So, I mean, uh, from the African-American side, right, because we are um, disadvantaged economically, you have to really ask yourself and think. Because I know a lot of um, pro-life people will say, well, just have the baby. There's other options. You can, um, you know, give that baby up for adoption. Um, you know, if you go full term, you might actually decide that this is something that you want. Your mind will change. And so um, I just want a lot of pro-life people. I'm on your side. But <laughs> think, you know, logically, you have to think about that person who is wondering where they're, how they're going to eat tomorrow. Forget about how they're going to eat in nine months. They're trying to figure out the next meal. So, you know what I mean? There's a lot of yep. implications um, and there's a lot of reasons why a person might decide to abort. But you got to think about that in a, in a racial justice lens and you got to think about that in a socioeconomic justice lens. To clarify what Ebony is saying, the medium aver median, the median average income for white people is $50,000 a year, whereas the median average income for people in the black community is around 30000 That is a huge $20,000 difference. Hispanics make about 40000 right? So that is a, a, a really big deal because 30000 if your median income is 30000 how are you going to... I mean, my wife makes... My wife and I, we probably make around sixty-five or yeah, around around sixty-five thousand, maybe seventy thousand a year, and that's us, right? And we'll probably be able to afford one kid on that right now, maybe two. But if we only had thirty thousand dollars coming in for the two of us plus another kid, yeah, and it's no wonder that um, black women are three point five times more likely than white women to have an abortion. And th there's a big problem going on in New York City right now. Uh, abortion rates have just skyrocketed down there uh, among the black community. And there's good reasons why. Uh, housing in New York City is absolutely ridiculous. Gosh. We live in the lowest um, cost of living, you know, in New York State here in Broome County. And it's still pretty rough. <laughs> um, you know, you guys make double what I make and I already have four kids. Um, New York State has a self-sufficiency calculator, and it says that I should be making $67,000 a year for me and my four kids to survive, um, and I'm making nowhere near that. So uh, we have to think about the, all those implications before we actually show up to, you know, um, protest, right, at an abortion clinic or something like that, because not only do we have our uh, religious convictions, and that should carry us a long way, right? And it does carry us a long way. But we have to be practical as well, and mm -hmm. I think that's what the Bible calls for us to do. And so, um, and being practical, you can at least understand why a person would consider abortion mm -hmm. um, and why it's kind of hurtful, especially to black women, when people say, oh, just keep the baby and figure it out later. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think our society does a, a very poor job of um, taking care of children after they're born. I feel like 
when I was in graduate school um, at Eastern University, at, um, Tony Campolo School, like one of the when he visited during the first month of school, he was talking about how um, hypocritical it was that Christian Republicans are so pro-life, but they're really just pro-birth. Mm-hmm. You know that. Yeah we really drop the ball when it comes to after a baby is born. So I definitely agree with that. And um, I would like to see Christians uh, specifically, um, because, you know, we are Christians here. Um, I would like us to become more hospitable to to women specifically um, that are in our communities, bring them into our homes, like just support them more, um, and I feel like that's what we're really missing in Binghamton, especially, is people don't know their neighbor. Um, and I, a wish for Michael and I, um, as mature Christians, is to be able to be so secure in our faith that we're not worried about um, what our neighbors will think. What we really want to be worried about is, are these people feeling, or do they see Christ? You know, we don't have to really even say anything for them to see Christ if we can just live it out. Um, so I definitely think that um, as far as abortion goes, um, definitely advocacy is important, but just making it more, you know, taking to the basic level as far as your community too. I mean, foster care. So many kids are in foster care. Um, so many kids who are in foster care end up aging out and going, being trafficked, um, or just abused in so many different ways. Um, you have adoption, which hopefully we'll do someday when we, you know, I'd love to do when our marriage gets to the point where we can afford it, and um, you know, just forget even just even taking af- forget even affording it. I'd just love to do it in general. Right. Yeah. Because uh, and and for all the listeners, either that were that. For all the listeners, I grew up in foster care my whole life from the age of three until I aged out, right? I'm one of the few that actually went to college, that actually went to school, and has actually become a productive member of society. But at the same time, there are plenty of us foster kids that have done things with our lives. And so, and and I, I have to say this because this is important. What's really annoying is when the pro-choice people talk about how uh, poor people should get an abortion if they can't afford a kid because otherwise instead of putting it up for adoption because then he's going to go through the foster care system and that kid's going to grow up to be useless to society and it's going to grow up to be a criminal it's like poor people can become criminals but not all poor people are criminals and basically to me it, it really it's in of itself that's to me is a racist statement because when Look at how poor black people are, right? Basically what you're saying is any black person that chooses to have to keep their child wants their kid to grow up to be a criminal. And it's funny. Mm. A lot of these pro-choicers, they're all about uh, allowing for welfare, all about these social programs, except when it comes to abortion. Abortion is the only time where they're discriminating against poor people. That's... Uh, so, to me, it's that's what I think. What's what's your view on that, Ebony? And when it comes to black women, because the first thing you hear is welfare queen. 
Hmm. You hear welfare cliff. You hear all these little euphemisms, right, that um, American politics has made up to kind of talk about us in a racially charged way um, to make us seem... Um, less than useful to society Mm -hmm. and to make those babies that we have seem less than useful as well. Mm -hmm. Um, So we have to really think about the racial implications behind what is said and especially about the language that we use, right? So, um, and it's not even about being politically correct. It's about saying things in love and using love as as it's prescribed in the Bible. Um, And so if you are constantly um, badgering a group of people who come to an abortion clinic every day, right? And we know that there's those people out there with their neon on and with their signs and they're the ones screaming, you're a murderer and things like this. That person has so many other things to think about um, before the pregnancy, especially Mm -hmm. a black woman, um, that that's just like one less thing that she needs and it's not loving at all. So you kind of wonder where Christians even come up with this idea to to pick it and, and do that type of thing mm-hmm. um, rather than actually, like you said, Allison, building community, mm-hmm. getting to learn these um, disenfranchised people because they're not all black, especially here in Binghamton. Um, we're on Main Street and right behind us on Charlotte, you can find very low income white people who um, you know are going through the same types of issues. <laughs> You're familiar with life choices, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, life choices, I actually really have a lot of respect for life choices because they're not the kind of people that just protest, right? They're actually providing, and they're trying to open more clinics, right? They're actually trying to open a clinic here in Binghamton to provide health care services that don't include abortion to women. It seems to me that uh, everything that Ebony has said is the exact truth. It's really important that Republicans... And conservatives, and you know what? Not even just Republicans. I'm a I'm a registered Democrat. I'm a pro-life Democrat. Okay, I am. And one of my best friends who lives in New York City, his name is Phil. He is also a pro-life Democrat. There are pro-life Democrats, and it's really really annoying that all Democrats get lumped in by Republicans as as you know baby murderers and liking abortion because we vote for a Democrat candidate. You know, I don't always vote based on abortion. I vote on a lot of issues. Voting is a lot more complex than that. And I'm not just going to always vote pro-life because if I always vote pro-life, then we're going to have a bad economy because uh, a lot of Republicans have bad economics just like a lot of the progressive Democrats have bad economics. You need good economics because good economics hopefully will lead to more prosperity among low-income people. Because that's what I want to see, is the low-income people actually being able to make money. That's important to me. That's really important to me. Because, and if they make more money, they may be more inclined to keep the baby, right? And another thing that Republicans have failed to do is come up with a cost-effective health care idea. <laughs> we need to do something, okay? The Democrats constantly accuse the Republicans of being pro-life only until it's born. And then they don't provide anything, right? And th- and not having health care available for women that doesn't include abortion doesn't really help the fact. And so that's why I really love CareNet. That's why I love Life Choices, because they're trying to provide all of those things for women. That way women don't have to go to Planned Parenthood. 
they're trying to provide an alternative. And I eventually want to run for office, and if I get to a federal level, my idea isn't to just close Planned Parenthood down. I would love to close Pan Planned Parenthood down eventually, but not yet. The first thing I want to do, the first thing, is to fund federally, instead of pulling funding from Planned Parenthood, I want to give equal funding to organizations like CareNet, and then they will compete against Planned Parenthood, and then when they actually have enough money to start doing clinics, then people are going to start choosing CareNet, because the abortion rate in this country has drastically declined over the last 20 years. In 1990, it was about 1.3 million abortions. Last year, it was only about 800,000. Wow. So abortion. That's amazing. That is. Yeah, abortion you is going down. that. <laughs> no, you wouldn't think that from all the mumbo jumbo on the news. Mm. Yeah. But what's also interesting, and I want to say this, this is important. Abortion was legalized in New York State before Roe versus Wade in 1970, in July of 1970. That year, there were around uh, 198,000 abortions. The next year, it was over 400,000. It went up by th almost 300,000 abortions when they legalized it. And abortion in of itself, it skyrocketed. Abortion skyrocketed by about 300 to 335% after Roe versus Wade. Yeah, so some of those implications, especially for uh, blacks, you have to think about the civil rights movement. You have to think about the end of Jim Crow. Mm -hmm. You have to think about um, welfare reform in the 90s, which gave more African-Americans health care, which gave them better access to abortions. So I think in the night and the war on drugs, let's not forget the war on drugs. Mm -hmm. So I think a lot of the implications from that are that it was available to people um, more readily. And then also uh, condoms. Condoms weren't really being pushed like they are now. I know a lot of teens um, <coughs> have a few friends that work at uh, family planning and a, lot, and a few friends that work in prevention, but they do the same, they do the same job, sex ed, for um, high school and middle schoolers. And um, condom use is like through the roof, which is totally, totally opposite from the 70s, 80s, and, and up until the mid-90s. So, I think one of the um, even bigger problems that, we, that people don't talk about is how marriage has gone down and how easy it is to get a divorce. Mm -hmm. I don't think divorce should be so accessible. I think it should cost a lot more than it does, and it should be a lot harder to actually get a judge to rule in favor of one. Because a lot of people just don't want to work out their problems. I mean, if if Allison and I operated like a lot of couples do, we, we've we only been married for, what, four or five months? We would have been divorced by now if we just decided to take that approach of, oh, we're just not going to, we're just going to part ways for irreconcilable differences. Okay, <laughs> just work your problems out. But see, that's another problem, is we have uh, a lot of problems with single parenthood. That is a huge problem, is single parenthood. And, uh, I, yeah, I, and I don't even know what that looks like in the black community, because I, I know it's bad enough in the white community, but I, I don't even know. Mm -hmm. So can you elaborate on that for me? Sure, sure. So um, I wanted to hit on something you said before that. Oh, yeah, I'll back up. Uh, I forget what it was, though. <laughs> no. Aw. Um, so single parenthood in the black community 
um, has been a struggle. It's not something that, you know, and because people from outside of our community don't actually come in and ask, it's not something that we're proud of. It's not something that we endorse or condone. Um, the black community comes from a Christian heritage, which I think a lot of evangelical, white evangelical Christians kind of forget. Um, so we come from the same doctrine, the same tenets. And because of things like the war on drugs, um, the end of Jim Crow, the civil rights movement, um, a lot of issues, well, when, uh, let's call them entitlement programs, right? Oh, because I forgot to mention that I'm actually a registered Republican, and so that's what my party likes to call them, um, government entitlement. So when all of that was developed, the black woman had a choice to make. Does she um, accept the black man who's struggling through no fault of his own? He's struggling because of racist systems that are built in America. Um, so do we support that black man or do we throw him to the wayside and collect these government entitlements that might help us, um, you know, step up in the world? So back in the, in, during the civil rights movement, that would have been affirmative action. Um, that would have been government entitlements like uh, WIC, um, uh, temporary assistance, what we call it today, so cash assistance, um, and actually even money to go back to college. So, I mean, I can say for myself um, that I chose to go back to college in the 2000s as a single parent, but if I had the opportunity in the 70s to go back to college, um, you know, I probably would have taken that, um, especially if I wasn't married to a man, um, you know, and I, and I, didn't owe him anything per se, because that's kind of the, the thought in the black community anyway, is if we're not married, I don't really owe you anything. I'm not saying that's right. <laughs> I'm just saying that that's what has been passed down through, um, coping mechanisms because of systematic racism. Wow. Yeah. It's, it's, it's no, no joke. This is, uh, <laughs> This is a tough topic. It's not an it's not an easy topic. Uh, it's not as black and white as pro choice and pro life people make it, because there's a lot of factors. There really are, and one thing that I love it's politics. I, I love politics and religion, but I really love politics. I love law. I I read Supreme Court decisions for fun. I'm 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 a nerd. I can't help it. But at the same time, there needs to be a way to help the black community and I think that uh, if we can find some of these ways and pass some of these common sense reforms like one of the things I, I like the idea that Governor Cuomo had to make um, colleges tuition free uh, for people who who make for couple for families who make a hundred thousand dollars a year or less great I think he should have included vocational schools in that like BOCES like truck driving school uh, things like that, like union work, that should have been included. And if you include that, then the price of college will go down, which is important because supply and demand. Mm -hmm. I, have, I have met so many. Uh, I used to work as a cab driver in this area, and I used to transport students all the time. And I'd get sophomores, sometimes juniors, and I'd be like, what's your major? Oh, I'm undeclared. What do you mean you're undeclared? Are you kidding me? 
you don't know what you want to do, then why are you in school? Go get a job and stop wasting taxpayer money and mommy and daddy's money. Because I guarantee you it's not your money. Because if, if I didn't know what I wanted to do, I wouldn't go to school. That's just me. <clears throat> so I went to school for ministry because that's what I wanted to do. And I'll eventually pursue it again. Right now I'm looking at law school, but uh, it's, it's, really, it's really something. So... Um, can you uh, elaborate a couple things on this bill, since so we don't yeah, get completely off to topic? Yeah. So another uh, day, it must have been what, like Tuesday or Wednesday? Yeah, something like that. Allison had me read it when I got home from work. She handed me a piece of paper, and she's like, "This is the abortion bill." I'm like, I looked at it. I'm like, it can't be only six pages. It was only six pages. I was like, are, yeah. you, are you serious here? There's a lot packed in here, though. So I went through and I highlighted things that jumped out to me. So maybe we can go. Yeah, go for it. Do that. So uh, under Section 1, um, it says that uh, abortion is a fundamental con uh, component of a woman's health, privacy, and equality. Um, the New York Constitution and the United States Constitution, Constitution protect a woman's fundamental right to access safe, legal abortion. Courts have repeatedly affirm, reaffirmed this right and further emphasized that states may not place undue burdens on women seeking to access such a right. So, Mike, do you know where anywhere in the Constitution where it talks about abortion? Uh, it doesn't talk about abortion anywhere in the Constitution at all. And you basically have to add that in there. And, I mean, quite frankly, if you actually want to use science and logic, unborn children are probably protected by the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments that were passed. Uh, I mean, that, and those, those amendments were about freeing slaves, right? And if you think about it, it was about black people, and black people are 3.5 times more likely to have an abortion so those little black babies technically have rights according to the Constitution if you're going to use science. Um, but obviously New York State doesn't use science because can you read off the line about it being safe? Oh, um, yeah. So... I thought you, hi you highlighted I it. I highlighted it, but I don't know where... Oh, um, literally, literally right moreover, the legislation le legislature finds, as with other medical procedures, the safety of abortion is furthered by evidence-based practices developed and supported by medical professionals. Abortion is one of the safest medical procedures performed in the United States. <laughs> I'm sorry, I shouldn't laugh. Wow. That's so stupid. That's the dumbest thing thing I have ever heard in my life. It is one of the safest practice. No. No, it is not. There you is lobbied for that. <laughs> <laughs> that specific sentence. It had to be lobbied for it. Mm. Yeah, that is totally not true. Yeah. Not true in the slightest. I would think microdermabrasion is probably safer. Um, how about a DNA swab with a cotton swab in the mouth? <laughs> true. That's a pretty safe procedure. Strip throat um, check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? That's a pretty safe procedure because I don't think anybody dies from that. And women do die from 
from abortion. And not only that, but one of, it has been said repeatedly, repeatedly, that women suffer from mental, uh, psychological symptoms from having an abortion. Like, there's actually a term for it. Isn't it like post-abortion syndrome or something? Something like that. Yeah, so it's it, it's not an easy thing. Like, for example, the woman that was the plaintiff in Roe versus Wade, she later became a Christian. This she didn't woman, even abort her child. She didn't even end up aborting. Yeah, so she didn't even end up aborting her child. And then she became a Christian and later went back to court to try to reverse the law mm-hmm. because she said, I was wrong, and they overturned... They didn't overturn Roe versus Wade, unfortunately. But that shows you that even she was conflicted about it. Because this is a very easy thing. It is a life. Yeah. Can I hop, can I jump in? Feel free to interrupt me whenever <laughs> you want, Ebony. So I just want to jump back to the 13th <laughs> Amendment. Um, so it was designed to protect um, black and brown bodies. But as we've seen over the last 250 years, America um, does not see or respect black and brown bodies the same as it does white bodies. So um, the 13th Amendment um, effectively freed slaves until they committed a crime. So I just wanted to say that um, the 13th Amendment actually probably does not protect those babies if their mother is in prison. Um, and that's probably something that we should be thinking about also in the context of the conversation um, because they, they become a ward of the state and they effectively, the parents have no parental rights and they have no rights over their own life, you know, until they age out of the system. Well, even, even if you're born to somebody that's a criminal, you don't get charged with anything. So you don't have to live your life saying, well, I'm a criminal. Now, sometimes if people actually know your family history then you get treated badly just because, you know, they know your family history, right? So my mother's side of the family, thank, thankfully I didn't grow up anywhere near my family. I'm so thankful I grew up in foster care because my mother was just really bad. Um, she died in 2014 of alcohol. Um, she drank herself to death. Her, she refused to get um, dialysis and then she died because her body went septic and she died of cardiac arrest arrest due to sepsis um so you know she was she had a lot of mental issues she was um mentally ill mentally retarded well not mentally retarded she was borderline she was just above retarded um and my father is still an alcoholic to this day um i'm working on him slowly but surely he had stage four cancer um a year and a half ago, but he's only down to like two tumors now and they're not spreading. So, you know, I say, I, I just think God spared his life and hopefully he'll repent of his sins before he dies. Hmm. I would love that. But either way, like if I were living with my father, um, and, and Ellison knows my father, <laughs> if I, if I grew up with him and had my mother in my life too, I don't know if I would have turned out the same way that I turned out. That's just just how it is. It is, and it is what it is. But at the same time, we need to make sure that we are coming up with uh, solutions to mm-hmm. help um, poor people. That way, they they're not forced into getting an abortion. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's... and I mean that's economic, right? <coughs> like you said earlier, if people are making a better wage. 
they might they might be more inclined to keep that child when they mm-hmm. do find themselves upon an unwanted pregnancy or something like that. Um, and so that's kind of why I do all the work that I do in my professional life as well as in um, in my private life, um, doing a lot of social justice work because it all comes down to, and um, a lot of people might not like to hear this, especially a lot of Christians, evangelicals, it all comes down to uh, racial bias um, and how people perceive one another. So if you are constantly um, making these laws and not uh, having people who they affect at the table or asking the people who they affect, you know, how can we make this better for you? Um, Admitting I haven't experienced this, but you do. So how about you tell me how we can, you know, remedy or fix? None of that ever happens. And so until that happens, um, you're going to always have a racial disparity. You're going to always have a group with the power and a group without the power. And usually the group with the power is the one that makes the laws. Um, same as history goes, the, the, the victor is usually one, the one that writes the story about the battle. And so we have a lot of spaces and a lot of, um, opportunity to actually bring marginalized people into the fold, um, and to do things in love, especially as Christians. Um, so I, I find it hard to be a Republican and a Christian (coughs) knowing the kind of inflammatory comments um, that a lot of my counterparts make. And so I actually decided to switch. I felt that I was railroaded into being a Democrat in the late 90s, um, Bill Clinton era, you know, and <laughs> we see how that turned out now. Um, we ended up being super predators and we ended up being welfare queens and all this other stuff that we thought he was going to try to kind of ward off for us. And so I found myself railroaded um, into being a Democrat for what? 15, 16 years at least. And so the last um, the last election cycle, I just was like, you know, I've had enough. Um, these liberal people are not my people. I actually stand more with, and it's weird, I stand more with um, super conservatives and progressives. <laughs> so um, for me, I would love for... Um, all the government entitlements to be shut down. And we almost had a taste of that um, the last few weeks. I would love for all of that stuff to just poof, be gone, disappear. But when that happens, that means that black people are, are, are receiving equity in this country. Mm-hmm. It means that black women are seen and heard and we're not just, um, I keep using this term, but we're not just welfare queens, right? With big hair and mm-hmm. big hoop earrings and long nails. There's, there's way more to us mm-hmm. and we're way more multifaceted. Um, and like I was saying, I do, I do that on my, in my personal life, but I also do that in my professional life where I'm always mentioning, especially in schools, that there needs to be more equity. There needs to be um, more attention paid to racial disparities. And so I think that that needs to run the gamut, not only with children, but also with adults, also with Christians. Um, also with Republicans mm-hmm. and um, white folks really need to start thinking about um, how that has affected people. So if racism worked, then black folks wouldn't be as destitute as we are. So the $1 stays in the black community six minutes. 
where it stays in the white community 37 days. Wow. That's a big difference. Yeah. Uh, and one more thing before we wrap up. Um, I, I, I affirm everything she said, right? She is, yeah, I have a lot of respect for Ebony. Uh, we have one more thing to talk about about this bill. And that is that it makes pregnant women equal to women because all of the rights of the fetus are taken away. So it's, consi it's not considered a life. So what happens is now, it, if you were to beat a, beat a woman, it would be no different than beating a pregnant woman, right? Or other way around. If you beat a pregnant woman, it's no different than beating a regular woman mm. now. So you only get charged with beating a woman. So, you know, if, to all you domestic abusers out there, if you're going to hit a woman, you might as well hit a pregnant woman because you're going to get charged with the same thing as if you hit a regular woman. Well, Mike, in here on section 240, number 19, person, um, I'm referring to the victim of a homicide, means a human being who has been born and is alive. So like you just said. Yeah. So basically they're saying that abortion is not murder. Yeah. Right. They're saying it's not murder at all because it's not technically a life until it gets born. Mm. Even course, though even though it feels pain at what twelve weeks, huh? Mm -hmm. They're just got a heartbeat of eight, like eight weeks or something. Anyway, you can have an abortion up to twenty four weeks in New York mm -hmm. State now. My friend Phil was born three months premature. Mm -hmm. He was born after sixteen weeks, and he is far more athletic than me. Mm -hmm. He can keep pace with me mentally. I mean. And I think you know you know Phil, right? Of course, yeah. yeah. We all went to school together. Yeah. I was Phil and Allison with Josh and Yeah. 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 And he can keep pace with me, you know. And he was born three months premature and he is he's a good guy. He really is, and he's pro life. Because he also understands that abortion is murder. And the one thing that they that pro choice people say is, well, what about rape victims? What about incest? And mm -hmm. and 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 what about um, to save the mother's life? Right? There was a study done in Florida in 2015, and they polled people. Only 1.3 percent for all all those reasons that I just stated. Only 1.3 percent of the women that got abortions in Florida in 2015 got abortions for that reason. So, it's like it's like if you have a sex trafficking victim. And uh, there's a bunch of sex trafficking victims, and they kill the trafficker that enslaved them, right? They kill them on the way out. So you say, oh, well, they need to, all sex trafficking victims need to have access to being able to kill their captors, so we're just going to make murder, Ill murder legal for everybody. I mean, that, it's basically just like saying that. <laughs> it's... It's lunacy, and that's not what pro-life people are saying. I feel like that's a flawed <laughs> comparison. Not really. I mean, it's that's not what pro-life people are saying. <laughs> right. That's not what we're saying, right? So, like for example, uh, an ectopic pregnancy is when the embryo, after it gets fertilized, attaches to the fallopian tube instead of the uterus, and when that happens, you have no choice but to abort that baby. Hopefully we can get technology to be able to detach it from the fallopian tube and attach, reattach it to the uterus like it's supposed to be. But until we get that, we have to abort it, unfortunately. And it, it's a terrible thing, but it's going to die anyway because the mother's going to die. Because it won't even get to, it probably won't even get to 16 weeks before it kills the mother and, and the baby itself. So there are some circumstances where you have to. 
and ectopic pregnancies are a lot more common than pro-life people want to admit. They happen. So they have to remove the, the whole fallopian tube. So then the woman only has one fallopian tube. And in rare cases, they have to even do a hysterectomy. So it's not just one of those easy black and white things. And rape, I mean, I don't, I don't think you should punish the child. But at the same time, the woman, it's not like the woman was doing something reckless. Right, so, but it's still, a soul is still a, yeah. a separate human being. Mike, uh, to close this, I just want to read um, the last, one of the last parts of the bill. Um, so it's section 240, line 51 through 56. Um, if any provision of this act or any application of an, any provision of this act is held to be invalid, that shall not affect the validity or effectiveness of any other provision of this act or of any other application of any provision of this act, which can be given effect without that provision or application, and to that end, the provisions and applications of this act are severable. Can you kind of put that in layman's terms for us? Uh, okay, basically... Uh, if anything is found to be unconstitutional or wrong and the courts strike down a provision, they can strike down that provision and it and will keep the rest of the law in place. Okay. Um, is there a chance that this could be overturned? I think it could. Uh, and I think it could be overturned in the, in the U.S. Supreme Court. Okay. Because these are, there's a lot of problems with this bill. Yeah. Because it gives up protections for pregnant women. That's basically what they've done is given up protection for pregnant women. Well, it's coming to be that time. Yeah, Do you want really to is. make a closing statement? Uh, well, Can we thank Ebony at oh, the very yeah, least? Probably, probably the best, <laughs> best bet. So thank you, Ebony, for being on. Thank you. This is our premiere episode, and I think it's going to take off.